I mean, some of my favorite conversations I've had with staff, some of the real depth that I've been able to go with people and, and get to know them and understand kind of what makes them tick have happened over that lunch table. And it just builds incredible continuity and connection with one another. Um, I think it's well worth the investment of, of money and time to allow staff to be able to do that. In 2016, I co-founded a drinkware company called Simple Modern. I was obsessed with the question, what would happen if we built a for-profit company focused on generosity? This podcast is a behind-the-scenes look at how we scaled from a bootstrapped startup to nine figures in annual revenue. We'll share with you the strategies we used, things learned along the way, and how we built a different type of company. This is Scaling for Good. Hey everyone, welcome back to Scaling for Good. I'm Mike Beckham, the co-founder and CEO of Simple Modern. I want to tell you a story. Uh, it was a very stressful time in our company's history. In 2017, we had 90% of our sales happening on Amazon through the marketplace. We were getting ready for Black Friday week, which is one of the biggest sales weeks of the year. We had bought more inventory than ever before, and everybody was excited about seeing huge sales numbers roll in. When we woke up on Monday morning, we saw that our account had been suspended. We didn't have any reason why. We, we didn't have the explanation, but we were getting $0 in sales. Uh, our company had overnight lost 90% plus of its revenue. The next two days was a mad scramble to try and communicate with Amazon before all of the employees at Amazon went on break for Thanksgiving to try and understand what had happened and how to get our account selling again. Uh, and it led to a phone call on Tuesday night, the night before everybody would leave for break, where Amazon communicated the things that they needed to see changed. And it was an enormous list of changes to our product listings. Uh, all of the listings on Amazon have an intricate back end with images and text. And they asked us to basically redo that for every single product in the catalog. There were only a couple people in the company that knew how to do that, one of which was on a vacation in New York. He had tickets to see Hamilton that night which instead of going to Hamilton, he decided to go to a coffee shop. And he and I, at five o'clock, began working on trying to restore our listings so that our account could be reinstated. And then that night, one of the most special things in company history happened. Uh, as we were working, at about six o'clock, one of our coworkers got online and said, hey, I know that you're working on this and I don't know anything about it, but is there any way that I can help? And at first I thought, no, and then I realized, well, there is this one task that you could focus on that, that would be helpful for us. And, and about 6.30, another person joined in, and then by 7, two more. By about 9 o'clock, the entire team had voluntarily, without any prompting, without a text message going out or an email, they'd all voluntarily shown up and said, hey, how can I help? Uh, and it kicked off basically an all-night campaign for us to rebuild our entire Amazon listing structure and led to our account being reinstated the next morning. And it's one of my favorite stories when I think about culture and what healthy culture can look like. I'm excited to be joined by John Kuhlman, our Chief Culture Officer, on this week's episode of Scaling for Good. John, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Chief Culture Officer, you're not going to hear that um, title in, in many places. You're certainly not going to hear it called a chief role, like an executive mm -hmm. role. So what is the role and why is it an executive role at Simple Modern? 
Well, I think you hit on a lot of the pieces. You know, it's it's an executive role at Simple Modern because it's always been it's always been primary for us, right? One of the things I tell people a lot, I know you've said similar things, is, you know, we, we do business this well this way and we happen to make water bottles. Mm-hmm. And we do a really good job of making great water bottles that lots of people like to buy and other products. But really, we're going to do business this way first. And, and if you think about most comp companies, they would be the inverse. They would make water bottles and then they would sprinkle a little culture in there. And we've just never felt that way. We've always said we're going to do business like this because this is how this is this is what we feel is is the most it's who we want to be. It's who we want to be exactly, yeah. and and it's who you know the people that want to be here want to be. And and I personally feel like it's what the world needs. And so we you know we we put that first and foremost. And so at at the end of the day, it's an executive level role because it has to be stewarded. You know if 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 the only person that's overseeing finances in the company is CFO Jeff Hannum, right? right? We, we got problems, sure. right? Everybody's responsibility is to steward the finances of the organization. There's an executive at the top that oversees that and, and, and serves as the primary leadership behind that. And I think of the same thing with, with, with the chief culture officer role. Um, culture is everybody's responsibility. It's everybody's job. We all have to steward it and we would fail miserably if we didn't. But there has to be somebody that's pioneering it and that's, that's ultimately kind of coming up with, I think, ideas and creating, really, creating the space to allow our culture to flourish and, 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 and come out, you yeah. know. It's not programmatic. It's not, you know. It's not formula. Uh, it's not formula-based. It's, it's creating space so that, so that organically it, it, it kind of comes out. Um, and so, but you so, put your, you put your top people on the most important things, whatever those initiatives are in the business, you put your best mind and your best minds and your top people. And it would be crazy for you to do anything other than that. And so I think it's a reflection of exactly what you're saying. We view this as one of the very most important things. So we're going to put our, not only are we all going to own this, but we're going to put one of our very top people in terms of focusing on keeping this front and center and making sure that we're prioritizing it and developing it the way we want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And I mean, you know, I, I think of it as, you know, the, you know it's, it's a funny title. You know, I, I say I would say functionally the role, you know, it oversees HR, um, hiring and recruiting falls under me, uh, you know, general kind of cultural stewardship, people development. Yeah. Um, those are the, operational. Yeah. Things. I mean, a lot of people would call it chief people officer. They might call it, um, you know, uh, chief HR, you know, some, some, some kind of more HR centric title. Um, you were the one that came up with chief culture officer, yep. but I think it emphasizes when culture's in the title, it emphasizes the meaning. Um, and my kind of unofficial job description, and this kind of goes back to, uh, to some of the early days when we were talking about some of our giving efforts that we were going to put in place and some of the some of the pieces that like make Simple Modern who they are, you know, there was talk that we don't, we want to do this stuff and not talk about it. You know, we want to kind of like, we don't need to put it all over the website. We don't need to put it out there on social media. And we really wrestled with that thought, but we came to realize that when people buy this, right, they're buying, uh, they're buying more than just the product. They're buying the they're people voting, behind it. They're voting with their wallets for ideas yeah, and for the way that they want the world to look. And, you know, some of the motivation with this podcast, I mean, some of it is to help people to have an inside look at how we think um, and hopefully to help people who are wrestling through these same questions of how do I build a company? If anything we've learned along the way is helpful for them, that we want to share that 
But like you said, I think we, we had to come to a point where, hey, not 100% of people are going to get it. And some people are going to think it's self-aggrandizement or whatever. But talking about the way we prioritize culture and talking about giving, the benefits and the positive impact far outweighs the potential negative downsides. The challenge is that the accountability goes up. Absolutely. You know, like your your chances of coming across as hypocritical or disingenuous, you know, disingenuine goes way up. Yes. And so you really do have to take a hard look at yourself and ask the question of like, is this legitimately, is it sincere? What we say we're about, not, not that we do it perfectly, but is it sincerely held? Yeah. Are we really deliberately trying to be this thing? Because if not, we are sure putting ourselves out there as if we do. Yeah. And, so, yeah. and I, I think of that, you know, ultimately, I think of my job as, as, as helping to ensure, again, I can't do it, but helping to ensure that we are who we say we are. Yeah. My hope would be that if you're on the outside, you're just a customer of our products. You know, maybe you're not even in the Oklahoma City area and you've never met a single person at Simple Modern, that you have a feel for who we are and what we're about, you know, at least a, a bit of a glimpse, right? And the closer you kind of get to knowing the people, the closer you get to, to understanding more about who we are. But my hope would be that if you're an employee here, you actually experience it all the more. Um, you know, that, that, that we are who we say we are and that your experience when you're in the building every single day um, reemphasizes, reinforces that, you know, kind of that, that idea that, um, that we're about more than just, you know, making money and, 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 and growing profits and, you know, selling as many bottles as we possibly can. We actually want to make a bit of a difference in the world and we hope to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. So on, on that point, one of the things that I will tell people I'm, I'm involved whenever we hire somebody, I'm involved on usually their first week sitting down and walking through, um, a document that we have that outlines our mission, vision values. Um, and I know it comes up in the recruiting process. We'll talk about that in a second, but, what I have gotten into is kind of a habit when somebody's been here somewhere between, call it three to five months, of following up and just asking. I really only ask one question. And the question I ask is a little bit counterintuitive for kind of a 90-day interview question. And it's just, how has your expectation when you heard mm -hmm. everything we said we were about and the kind of culture we were trying mm -hmm. to create and you were coming in, how has that compared to the reality that you've experienced? Because to me, that's the litmus test, yeah. right? Is the rhetoric significantly different, you know, or does the rhetoric sound better than the reality? And what's really been shocking to me has been that the feedback I get is actually it's the inverse, that I've enjoyed it even more than I thought I would. It sounded really appealing, but actually being immersed in it has been, mm. you know, even more enjoyable than I thought. And I guess that leads me to my next question. How, let's start here. How would you define culture? I think I would define culture as sort of just the, you know, a collective sum of, um, of the beliefs, the, 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 the behaviors, the kind of, you know, the norms, the, 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 the rhythms, the, you know, all the, the rituals, I guess you could say, just kind of the normal routines that you experience within a team. And it's a collective sum of the, all those things. But it, it, it's like the air you breathe. You know what I mean? You, you, you come into the office and you're going to experience the culture. You know, whether, you, whether you're a company, you know, if you're an organization that doesn't ever talk about culture, newsflash, you have a culture. Yeah, everybody has a culture. Everybody has a culture, whether they steward it and intentionally nurture it or they don't, they still have one. And, and so the culture is what you are 
it's what you're breathing. It's what you're feeling. It's what you, you know, it's, it's the space. It's the way the team interacts. It's the, it's all of that stuff. And, and it, 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 it takes real intentionality to nurture it. I've heard it said um, that your culture is like the 90 day moving average of what people experience inside your walls, mm. uh, which I think is really good. Another uh, kind of analogy that resonates with me is um, you think of a marinade that, you know, if, you, if you're going to eat, you know, a piece of chicken or a good piece of steak that you might put it in a marinade and that gradually from sitting in that marinade, the, the meat takes on the flavor of whatever that marinade mm-hmm. is. It kind of soaks it in and becomes mm-hmm. more like the marinade and that that's the way that culture is. It's kind of like you said, it's the air we breathe. It's the marinade mm-hmm. kind of socially that we sit in every day and it definitely impacts us. Yeah. And you know, not just employees. It, it impacts visitors that come into the building. Absolutely. Inter- interview candidates that come in and they're here for an hour. You know, vendors. Yeah, partners. Uh, partners, yeah. strategic partners. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times people come up and tell me like, man, it just, it's, it just feels so amazing here. You know, it just, it just feels so great to, to be in your space. And um, I have friends that just want to come up and visit because they just like being in the, in the yeah. building. Um, and I, th- I think all of that is, you know, that's culture. You know, it's like you can't really put your finger on it. It's a yeah. collective. It's hard to nail down yeah, one particular exactly. thing, but it's more like, you know, when you hear stories of like, OK, that's that's actually a, a really good sign or that that feels like healthy culture. This is a simple example. But as you know, I have a lot of visitors that will come to the mm-hmm. office and the way that our office is structured. We kind of have a reception area and a, a main kind of desk. And then we have two wings and I'm on one wing. But everybody will come in through the elevators and they go to that reception area. Often it can be, you know, 10 or 15 minutes before I'm able to to go and grab the, the next person. Uh, for me to meet with. And one of the feedbacks that I get really consistently is, man, while I was out there in the main area, like four or five people (laughs) came up and just said hello and asked how I was doing and initiated with mm-hmm. me, like, what, what are you putting in the water? Like, uh, I, I think our controller, Tanya said that when she first started here, she was like, it was super weird. It was like, it was like, I, I was working at Chick-fil-A. Everybody was so polite <laughs> that I was kind of like, what is going on uh, here? And, and I think that, you know, it can feel like that sometimes because it, it is different, you know, yeah. like a different well, environment. It's, it's highly relational. Sure. You know, that's one of the, I mean, when people ask like, so how would you describe your culture? That's the first word that comes into my mouth, out out of my mouth is just very relational. You know, sometimes I feel bad for our introverts because it's that relational, you know, (laughs) it's like, man, there's nowhere to hide, you know, because people, people want to know about you. They want to know what's going on in your life. They want to know, you know, uh, you know, how your weekend was. And I mean, there's genuine care for one another. Um, and that comes out all the time. And if you're a visitor sitting in the lobby, people actually care. Like, yeah. have you been helped? You know, do you need, do you need anything? And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it, I think it's just one indicator of, of, you know, what people feel when they come in. So the whole goal of this podcast is obviously not, you know, to make it into a simple modern commercial and brag about our culture. It's really to talk about how do you intentionally build culture and build healthy culture. This is, I think, if you asked anyone that's, uh, in their career, they would probably say, yeah, I care about the culture that I'm surrounded by. If you look at it demographically and you slice it up, the younger you get, the more they would say they care mm-hmm. about culture and the more that it impacts the decisions about where they want to work. But it's also can be a little bit mysterious about how do you form it? We all know what good culture looks like, and we all know what it feels like to be immersed in bad culture and how we don't want to be there. 
but we we don't necessarily have kind of the playbook or like how do you begin forming it so i want to talk about that like how do you think we've built a strong and distinctive culture what are some of the practical principles that we've employed uh i mean it's a great question i i think i have thoughts but i do want to say you know it's 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 complex yeah. um you know it, it, it's we, we just we live in a especially in the business culture and community, you know, kind of at large and West, in, at least in the Western world, we want the blueprint. We want the kind of step-by-step yeah. guide. Here's the recipe. Here's the recipe. A then B. I yeah. want to be able to read the book, apply the principles that I read and boom, I have the thing. And it's, it's just not that easy. You know, it'd be, it's like, you know, how do you create a healthy household? You know, it's like, well, it's complex. You know, my kids are different than your kids and my wife is different than your wife. And you know, this is, this is, it's a complex thing. I can learn from you and you can learn from me, but you can't carbon copy what I have, you know, what I'm doing uh, and it work the same way. Right. And so, so I think that that's important to make, to, to distinguish, but we'll put that under the disclaimer of everything we're about to say it's not like this universally works for everybody or like that we're trying to give a bullet point list, but we are trying to kind of hit some principles. I'll actually kick you off. I think obviously it starts with who, who's on the bus. And to me, one of the core characteristics is uh, people that um, care about other people is a pretty good place to start Mm -hmm. with culture that if, when, when you create a team that has people that are indifferent uh, or even aggressive towards other people inside the organization, like you're going to have real problems with culture. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so, so, you know, cultures lived and breathed. I, I say that a lot. Um, and, and, and that means that it's carried by people. You know, you can yeah. have all the posters on the wall, uh, you know, Enron is kind of the classic example where you know mm-hmm. they they have they have their values posted on the on the in the lobby, but 35, 40 floors up, you know, executives are cooking the books in the boardroom. That was not, yeah. You know, I think honesty and integrity were two of their values. Yeah, exactly. Wasn't being reflected it, it in how the reflected. company was actually led, right? So you gotta you gotta have people who carry the values and and obviously alignment on values in terms of you know at least from. Um, you know, from I mean, you asked how we did it. I think first we did it. We aligned on values as a leadership team. Okay. Um, and I think that we uh, we we kind of took the time to say what do we really care about and what do we really want to be about. Um, not not that other people have and we're going to adopt it, but who are we? Right. It's authentic mm-hmm. to us and who we are and who we want to be. And then there, that alignment then trickles out and we continue to, you know, we hire people that, that, you know, care about these values. So I let me ask that about in. that. Yeah. How much is it about hiring people that already possess these traits and how much of it is about teaching people to embody these traits? I think it's both. And, you know, um, none of us are perfect people. You know, you, you yeah. I, I still have a long way to go when it comes to learning generosity. And I'm the chief culture officer and it's our probably, you know, it's yeah. our most talked about. Well, value. if you want an organization full of perfect people, then you're never going to have yeah. a single person, like you said, in your organization. They right. don't exist. So I, I have to continue to be coached in generosity and, and um, just like everybody else. But but I think, you know, if you're if you're a small business and you're looking at scaling, you know, I would I would encourage I would I would encourage alignment of your core team, 
alignment on leader on on, on values, and then hiring out out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a, an organization that already exists and you're looking to rearrange, you know, or kind of re-emphasize certain components of your culture. Um, then you know I would probably do the same thing. I would align my leadership on on the values that that we care about, you know. And they, they again they they have to be authentic to you. Yeah. Um, and then if you're a junior employee that is working for a company that doesn't have a, a, a the culture that you would love to have, but you believe in the place and you you know you 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 want to you want to um, you want to be an agent for change. Then, then you also have have a role to play, right? Yeah. And and I think that you know, um, so often we 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 want to bail because the culture is not great at wherever we might be working. Well, the only way it gets great is if somebody takes the initiative to That's actually right. instill change. Yeah, and that doesn't have to be the CEO. Um, you know, there's a lot of subcultures within like organizational yeah, culture. Most organizations are not uniformly great or uniformly terrible when it comes to culture. It's really, they're, they're uneven. They have a lot of different subcultures and you might have a really healthy team on one side of the building and on the other side of the building have a really unhealthy team. Right. And, and so when I was, you know, when I was a young manager and I led a, a small team, one of my goals just as the manager of that small team within a multi-thousand, you know, person organization was I want my team to be the most coveted team to work for. Mm. I want everybody in the organization when they're looking to make a job, you know, a, 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 a shift or a change, I want them to want to come work on this team because of the way that we operate. And I couldn't dictate, you know, a multi, you know, a global office, you know, cultural change in my, at, at the level that I was at. But I could I could steward the culture of our of our kind of team subculture, and that was really important for me. And um, and, and you can do that. And, and you know, I, I think even even if you're not even the manager of the team, you're just a member of the team. Like you can carry culture in a way that it, that in, that diffuses that, yeah. you know, to others. And, this and is one of the more, in, I think, interesting and empowering ideas that we have uh, really I mean, we've driven this point home over and over and over again internally that culture is like a garden. Everybody has to water the plants. Everybody has to fertilize the soil. Everybody has to pick the weeds. We all own this. And we've talked about it in a way where it's like, you don't have to be the CEO to be a leader in culture. Uh, Even when we have values like generosity, like you can be a leader in generosity. It looks different. It might not be that you write the biggest checks, but you're the most generous with your words and with affirmation Mm -hmm. or with teaching other people skills that will help them to be more successful or whatever that is. And I, I think that's incredibly empowering where it's like not, culture isn't something that happens to you. Culture is something that you're surrounded by, but also something that you have a big role in determining. And it's especially important because regardless of the culture that we find ourselves surrounded by in, you know, our workplaces or whatever, we're a part of a lot of different subcultures throughout mm-hmm. our life. You know, we have our home and, and, our, and, and maybe a marriage and we have our, our larger family and our, our parents and, you know, friends and, and different community organizations we're a part of. And there are so many different cultural context that we're a part of. And when we start to take agency and say, you know, listen, any culture that I'm a part of that's negative, I have, you know, the ability to change it and I have responsibility for that. I think that's the beginning of being able to make a shift. Today's episode is brought to you by the Bluebird Group. Years ago, we wanted to break into mass retail and we thought Target would be the ideal place for our products. Our problem? We have nothing about selling into mass retail. 
We emailed the buyer with no response. We could not find a way in. That was when we were introduced experts at the Bluebird Group. The Bluebird Group is an organization of professionals who've spent their career working inside of and selling into the biggest retailers in the world. They help clients successfully sell into Target, Best Buy, Walmart, Amazon, and Costco. Through our relationship with the Bluebird Group, we were able to get in front of decision makers and deliver a compelling vision about how we could partner together with Target. Over the last six years, Bluebird has helped us to grow our business every step of the way. They've helped us with everything from administrative details to developing new partnerships to fine-tuning our omni-channel strategy. We've been able to grow the business to tens of millions in annual sales as a result of their coaching and their partnership. It's easy for me to advocate for Bluebird and everything they've done for us at Simple Bond. So I want to ask you several questions about the hiring process. You manage the hiring process here. We have a lot of people that are interested in jobs here. Um, let me start here. If I'm a person, uh, a young person that is uh, wants to be a part of a company that has strong culture and I'm thinking about how do I make myself the most attractive candidate, what would you say? How do I set myself up to be an attractive candidate? Well, I think the biggest thing that I would encourage is intentionality. So, you know, I, I say this a lot, but resumes don't tell stories. People tell stories. You may have the gap in your resume. Why? You know, what, what was the why behind that? What was the intentional, you know, reason behind why you took this job? What was the intentional reason for why you moved to New York City and then now are back in Oklahoma or, you know, vice versa? And being able to... to to sit down, you know, why did you choose your major if you're a young college student? Why have you chosen this career path and now you're looking for a change? Is it money? Yeah. I mean, it can be some people's why. Yeah. Uh, I would go deeper than that, right? My, my, what I'm typically looking for is what are the, what's the authentic why and, and, and reason behind why you do what you do and why you've done what you've done. Mm -hmm. And I think that that intentionality from a values kind of a values first organization is very important because you, you know, it, it, it demonstrates how you will make decisions in the future. It demonstrates what you're considering as you evaluate new opportunities that might come your way in the future. Um, and, and being able to be intentional with it is, is just extremely important. So that's, that's, that would be my first answer. Okay, so what are the characteristics, qualities, strengths that you're looking for in an applicant? I mean, you know, a, uh, I think a demonstration of hard work. How would you see that? Give me an example where you saw that on a recent applicant. Well, I, I usually, you know, it, it comes out in conversation typically, right? Um, but uh, one, of the, one of my favorite questions that I ask um, almost every candidate, if you're listening to this and you're going to be a future candidate, you're getting a little inside <laughs> yeah. scoop. Uh, but... I always ask the question, you know, what's what's something that you would consider to have been very difficult in your life? How have you overcome that and what have you learned from that? Mm -hmm. And it shows me grit, yeah, determination. It shows me how what they define as hard. perspective. Yeah, exactly. It shows me what they show what they de define as hard. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it, it, it shows me um, humility that they, mm -hmm. you know, that they're that they recognize, you know, when when they were down. Um, and, and that they may not have it all together. And we do go through challenging times yeah. and we have, you know, it's really the, it's really the hardships I think that, that shape us. And, um, 
So, so I, you know, I'm looking for that. I'm looking for um, uh, success in previous roles. Yeah. You know, um, I'm looking for... Because uh, we, would, we would say we think track record is it's still the best predictor of future, you know, yeah. like it's it, in the stock market. It's like past performance is not necessarily predictive of future results. But in general, like it's true that your, your previous track record, people are going to project that out. And so it's important to, to really be diligent at, with whatever opportunity you have. And you and I have both at different points in our career been in jobs that were not like the most fun, but you've got to do the best job that you can with sure. the, the opportunities that you get. Uh, self-awareness. Yeah. The ability to, to, to know your strengths, know your weaknesses, you know, know what you know, what makes you, you know, one of the things that, you know, that I encourage people to know and continue to discover, it's a lifelong pursuit, is what makes you unique? You know, I'll ask people, and it's a little different than what are your strengths? The question in the interview that I typically ask is, I interview a lot of people, Mike, why, what makes you unique? Mm -hmm. What is it that you bring to the table that would be different than everybody else that I talk to? What do you feel like are the unique characters? question. It's a challenging question, right? But it, again, you're self-aware, you're, you, you're, you're, you're reflective. Yeah. During COVID, we had a period of nine to 12 months where we were fully remote. We had been in kind of a hybrid model where a couple of days a week people could work from wherever and three days a week we were in office and then we went to fully remote. Uh, and we really had to make a decision at the end of that period. I don't even think you were in the role yet when this decision got made um, that are we going to go back to being an in-person company? Are we, are we going to be a remote company? And we've decided to be an in-person company. What have been some of the benefits that we've experienced from your perspective as a result of the fact that we have a strong in-person component? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I think you would lose. A simple modern would not be what it is if it wasn't in-person. You know, again, I mentioned, like, when I say the word, uh, when, I, when I describe our culture, I say relational, right? Mm -hmm. And And... You can build relationships virtually. I don't discount that. And honestly, I, I love the idea of remote work. I mean, I think it works for some companies and it works sure. great. I think it does, it would not work well if if we weren't doing it. And I think the main reasons are, you know, we we, we gather together, we have a lot of time together, you know, and, and we have a hybrid work, yeah. work model. Um, we've done that. We did that before COVID. And then COVID, we went fully remote. And then after COVID, we went back to it. I always like to mention that. Like, we have a hybrid model, not in response to, okay, I guess we've got to be hybrid. Yeah. We've always thought that was the best, the best, you know, the best kind of balance between optionality and flexibility for staff, but being able to accomplish the goals. Um, so building relationships, I think making decisions. We make physical products. Yeah. Very difficult to do that, you know, over computer screens or, you know. Oh, it was a mess. When we, you know, product dev is just one example where, you know, we'll get samples in from China. Sometimes we'll get one or two of something. So how do you, when you've got one sample that you're trying to determine if it's, you know, cleared for production and they send you one sample and you've got team in a bunch of different geographic locations, how do you even go about the process of trying to decide if that sample should be approved? <laughs> you know, do you mail it around the country and hope it doesn't get broken in the mail or, you know, and there's so much inefficiency in time. So I, I, I had, think a, I agree with that. I think that, you know, those are two tangible benefits, um, you know, that, that we experience every day. Um, you know, you just can't replace the the times in between, you know, what I would call the in-between times, the times mm -hmm. when you're not in a business meeting and you're not at your desk 
you know, plugging away and cranking. Because listen, we're all busy. We got a lot to do. Um, but the in-between times when you're, you're, you're catching up with a colleague, we bring lunch into the office every single day yeah. for our staff. It's one of the things that I think is exceptional for our culture. Um, it, it, why, it's, why is it exceptional? Is it because people love the free food? Well, that's what most people would think, right? right. Oh, yeah, it's a free food perk. Right. It's like, no. It's also not an intention to get people to work more at their desks. Yeah, it's not that's some the kind other, of backdoor right. of like, we're the, keeping you on campus. Right. You know? the, reason it's, the reason it carries such value is because I personally believe, I think you agree, Mike, there's something about connection over a shared meal. Yeah. I don't know what it is about food being in front of you, but when you step away from your desk, you've got a meal in front of you and you're chatting alongside another colleague. I mean, some of my favorite conversations I've had with staff, some of the real depth that I've been able to go with people and, and get to know them and understand kind of mm-hmm. what makes them tick have happened over that lunch table. And it just builds incredible continuity and connection with one another. Um, I think it's well worth the investment of, of money and time to allow staff to be able to do that. I was a skeptic. I'll just yeah. be honest. Like you we, and I have had <laughs> debates about we, this issue. In the we past. have. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's incredible what it does, um, and it's a little thing, but it's it goes a long way, and it has nothing to do with the dollars that the staff saves over lunch. It, it has everything to do with the connections made. Well, and you know, you say it's a little thing, and I think what we've really learned is it's not a little thing, and the reason it's not a little thing is because it's symbolic of a larger thing of we're going to build a team where relationships matter. Because, you know, listen, like, this is a basic human desire. I want to be a part of a tribe. I want to be connected to that tribe. I want to, you know, know the people that are around me. I want to have trust. Like, this is how we thrive, right? And it doesn't matter how good our technology gets. It cannot change that about us. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to replicate the trust building that happens when we are in a physical space with another person and when we, you know, have a significant number of hours shared with them. And I think, like you said, there's some businesses where remote can really work, but I also think there's a lot of challenges that come with that. I'm not one to say like, hey, the way that we're doing it is, you know, quote unquote, right. It's more, I think we've identified what the trade-offs are and that to us, it doesn't seem worth it in our culture. And and probably my challenge to people listening to this is, it's not about whether you're remote or in person. It's it's not about what's on your value sheet. It's have you thought about it deeply and have you really thought through the trade-offs that come with that? That's and right. Intentional. Because there's not a right, you know, there's not a right way to do culture. I think this is another thing that you and I really share this view that we don't think we crack the code. No. You know, like it's not like, hey, we're gonna write the book and this is the gold standard for culture. I think there's principles that every healthy culture has, like high trust, you know, the team is for each other, and there is some level of relational connection, you know, and a bunch of other things we could say. But the values can actually be fairly radically different in high-performing teams and teams with good culture. Uh, But some of the principles don't, you know, don't change. And there's room for a ton of diversity here in building a, a really strong culture. Yeah, Okay, so how do you measure the health of our organization? Uh, you know, it, cool. It's very subjective in a lot of ways. You you can you can measure it and and and, and be objective, but it's very subjective. You know, yep. uh, coming from finance, 
sales, business development. This has been probably one of the hardest things for yeah, me. It does not all fit in a spreadsheet. I, I can't, I don't know how I'm doing. You know, I, I like, yeah. how's it, how's it going? But you found some techniques. To but I found some techniques. It. I mean, number one, you know, we do a, a, a pretty intense, robust survey, at least annually, um, where we, you know, it's anonymous. The staff goes through, they, mm-hmm. they, they answer questions about our culture, what it's like to work here, our management, our leadership team. Um, it's a, it's a, research-backed survey. We didn't create the questions. It's, 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 it's put out there um, kind of for us. And then we pay the extra fees to get as much, da- the, much of the data as we possibly can because we want to look at that and slice and dice it and understand what are our employees saying. When they're not asked by me and they're not asked mm-hmm. by you, Mike, they're just asked, you know, what are they saying about how they're experiencing Simple Modern? That's one tangible way. You mentioned earlier in the in the podcast just the... Uh, the 90-day check-ins. So we hire somebody, and after their first 90 days, we sit down with them and we go through a set of questions. A lot of companies are going through and evaluating their performance. Mm-hmm. We actually do, uh, we do it a little different. They're kind of evaluating our performance. What was it like? Uh, what's it been like your first 90 days? Do you feel like you have the support necessary? Do you feel like what you were told in the recruitment process has become reality? Um, you know, in what ways do our do do in what ways or are there any ways where it feels off to you something that we're doing as compared to what we say we are? Yep. And these are questions that we give every new hire after their first ninety days because it's fresh for them. Yeah, they're giving an outside set. Of they're eyes. giving an outside perspective. They've been here long enough to kind of have a feel, but not so long that it's all they kind of remember or know anymore. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we gather that feedback and these are tangible ways. These are a couple of just tangible ways. And we have a feedback rich environment just in general. I think that's probably the part that's, that's hard to kind of nail down. Okay. Here are all the ways that we've built a feedback rich environment, but where, when you do have high trust and people are receptive to feedback, you know, well, I've made the point before that if you see something on an annual survey or on a 90 day feedback or a 360 review from a direct report, or, you know, from a, a, somebody that reports to you, that's surprising. Like, you're doing a bad job. Yeah. You know, like, it should never, you, you would hope it never has to come out that way, um, that that feedback has been given in person. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I try to have my ear very close to the ground as well. You know, I mean, I consider it to be part of my, my role is like, you know, when I'm hearing things or picking up on things that are being said or that are felt or, you know, different things like it's constant maintenance to, to, to steward the culture well. And, and, and so part of the feedback, part of how you know you're, what you're doing is you're having regular conversations with people. Yeah. Um, and you know, my, my door is, is open most of the time and people stop by quite yeah. often because it's like, I want to know, you know, and I always will try to make time, um, for people to come in and just say how things are going and talk and, and talk because it gives me a, it gives me an insight into how they're enjoying their job, what you know, how their day's going, and 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 what, uh, where we might need to be focused on if 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 something comes out that you know I don't I don't love. So one of our favorite concepts, uh, this is from Giant Leadership, which has uh, been very helpful for us, is this idea of the support challenge matrix and how for all of us to grow, we need a combination of high support but also high challenge. How have we tried to create an environment in your mind that is high support and high challenge? Um, well, I, I think I think number one, when you hire the kind of caliber of people, <laughs> yeah, you know, in the organization, 
it just the, the the accountability just go you know is is high right the bar is really high and mm-hmm. um it it kind of you know i i think you almost feel challenged just being here because the person next to you is so excellent you know uh or or the 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 um the the staff is so excellent at what they do that it kind of raises it raises everybody everybody's up. game. Yeah, everybody's game. Um, I would say on that note, I would say we hire competitive people, uh, but not people that compete with each other, but com- people who compete together. But I do think competitive people, you know, they see other people that are excellent, and it's like all right, game on, you know, just like you're saying, and it, like, I want to raise my game. I want to be at that level and it can be a really positive impact on them instead of like the sense of comparison of, mm-hmm. Oh, I can never be as good at, you know, sales as so-and-so they see it and they say, Hey, I want to raise my game. You know, yeah. I want to execute at that level. Well, and I think we're, I think we're, we're very open-handed with our gifts and we, we give those away to other people. Right. So if you're the best salesperson in the business, you're not, you're not trying to maintain territorialism and saying, okay, I'm going to continue to be the best salesperson. You're actually, you, the, the hope would be that you would want to give that away and help yep. others get to that same level. And I think we have a, a group of people that does that. Another very practical way is just regular one-on-ones. Um, yep. You know, every, every manager's meeting with, with, with their team uh, or their individuals on, with regular one-on-ones. And that gives a, it's a carved out space to be able to give support and challenge um, when it's needed. Uh, you know, if we're honest, Mike, like we probably skew more on the support side than we do the challenge side. Yeah. We're a lot of really nice people that care for one another a lot. Right. And so it can be hard to bring the challenge, but we have to, we have to, and we, um, we, we kind of continue to emphasize that both, um, I think through, you know, organically, but also I think you do a great job of kind of leading us in that. And, um, and challenging even the senior staff in, in a regular way. I think it's a great point. And, you know, it'd be easy to listen to this and be like, man, this is great what you're talking about. This is just not the real world. Everything you guys are saying, <laughs> you know, there are like actually like financial goals that I've got to hit and that's what matters. And if people feel good, okay, fine. But that's not really what drives business. The argument that we're making is we run a very profitable company and that a lot of the reason why it is very profitable is because of culture and that it's not like an either or thing, but that you can actually build an even better, even more successful, even more profitable company by focusing on culture. Okay. Final question. Our company's mission statements unique. It's we exist to give generously. How have you done your job differently because of the unique mission statement we have with the company? When I think of generosity, right? I think the, the first word that you think of, or the first thing you think of, I think, is giving money giving away. Money. Right. But as you've talked about through this podcast, it's not just that. It's it's giving of our gifts and our and and our talents and our you know uh and our time and our resources away. Yeah. And I mean Mike, to be honest with you, like without generosity, I don't know that I say yes to the chief culture officer role. You know, yeah. you, you you saw something in me that was like, I think that you have something that I would like to be given away to the staff or that you could steward for us in this capacity over the next however long period of time. Very different career, you know, turn for me. Um, But I think, honestly, it's it's that mission statement. If, If I exist to give generously, if we exist to give generously, and I'm to embody that to some degree, then if this is where my talents can best be deployed, then my answer is yes. 
Mm-hmm. And that was hard. Like that was hard to say yes to at first. And I'm still growing in the role. I'm still learning so much about um, what I'm doing. But I, I think literally every day I wake up and I say, yeah, I, I want to generously give what I've been able to learn over the years in my you know relatively short career, but my career, I want to give that away to to whoever it is that's in the building that wants to listen. And, um, you know, I have the luxury of being able to just, I mean, I steward and I, I help, I work with people, right? So, so for me, when I have a meaningful, meaningful conversation with someone, when I'm able to impart some kind of wisdom or some kind of career direction or, or some kind of idea uh, when they're faced with a challenge or a leadership challenge or something like that, like that is so rewarding for me. Um, it, it's my favorite part of the job. And so um, without generosity, that doesn't exist, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I think, uh, I, I hope that answers your question around like, that is what, you know, that is how, you know, it's literally a, a part of my every single day in how I think about what I can do uh, and how I can give it away to others. Um, John, thanks for being with us. Uh, I love talking with you about culture. Uh, as anybody listening can, can probably guess, we spent a lot of time talking about this stuff, debating this stuff. Um, yeah, I would say it's something that's very much in process and we're constantly evolving in our views, but I love discussing it with you and I really appreciate having you on the, the pod today. So for everybody listening, thanks for joining us to another episode of Scaling for Good. 